Alrighty, folks, it is still February and uh, it's almost springtime. So you know what that means? Time for another CS2 conference. This will be the 13th cloud security and compliance series event that has been put on. And at this point, it is now the longest running, largest, most well-known conference that is specifically focused only on uh, defense contractors and the wild and wacky world of dealing with cybersecurity requirements, uh, dealing with assessments, dealing with the uh, bouquet of issues that comes along with rules, regulations, standards, uh, penalties, all that fun stuff, what to do, how to do it, and uh, what people need to know. I think there's been in total now like 5,000 attendees across the 13 events. The stats are just crazy. So this has been something that uh, has been going on for quite some time. And uh, it's sort of where uh, I know I got my start as a presenter at CS2 and just sort of kept the ball rolling after there. We've had CS2 events in the past where it was like people's first time ever giving security presentations. And it's grown a lot over the years. And CS2 Boston is coming up April 3rd and 4th. So we're going to do a quick overview of the agenda, some of the sessions that are coming up in the events. And uh, and yeah, try to let people know what they can expect with the event. Before we kick off, we want to let all the loyal listeners know that if you want to join us in Boston for a good time, right, we have a discount code for you. Uh, that discount code is Sum It Up Boston. S U M I T U P B O S T O N. Got those formalities out of the way. I'm super stoked, Jacob. I, you yeah. know, I love CS2. This will be my 11th. Yeah, it's a, um, and it's a great event. Both sides of the fence and, and a lot of information to pick up and learn, a lot of networking that takes place. Um, super excited that's coming to Boston. Boston, it's wicked. It's going to be a wicked time, right? It's going to be a wicked, awesome time. <laughs> wicked, awesome time. Dude. Oh, we're man. Com we're coming to Boston. How do you like them apples? Right? Like, <laughs> that's what we're going to do here. Um, so you can be Ben Affleck. And okay. I will be Matt, Matt Damon for for the episode. Okay. We'll okay. we'll edit the the Boston accents in and post and uh, and see how it does. I'm sure there's some uh, Chat GPT Boston accent plugin that we can use to to run this episode. Wait, through. Are, are you saying are you saying my my attempt wasn't authentic? Uh, I'll let us know in the comments. Do you think that Jason's Boston accent is authentic or not? Um, yeah. Anyways, let's jump right into the agenda because we're just going to do a quick overview, a quick highlight. Uh, there's still time to register. There's still open slots. So starting off, it's a two-day event. It's actually kind of crazy how the event has grown. It started out as a one-day event and then a day and a half and then mm -hmm. into a full two-day event. And now uh, it's sort of fully uh, blossomed into having separate tracks after lunch on both days. Uh, so you start with sort of the main stage sessions before lunch. Then you have an executive breakout track and a technical breakout track afterwards. So uh, a pretty broad and wide ranging selection of topics at each one of these events. But we're going to kick it off on day one, April 3rd, with Michael McLaughlin, the author of Battlefield Cyber. So this uh, book came out, made a huge splash a few months ago. It's a great read, great overview of what uh, is happening and could potentially happen if we don't get our hands around what's going on with the cyber threats to DoD weapon systems, geopolitical tensions all of the big picture impacts that will occur and are occurring and have occurred uh, over time through the lens of cybersecurity, both good and bad. 
Uh, it's a very well-written book, very easily, uh, it's a very easy read, very accessible, even though it's some pretty heavy duty topics. And uh, we've been fans of Michael McLaughlin for a long time. He's active on LinkedIn. That's where I met the guy, was going back and forth with him on LinkedIn on some different debates around security and approaches and stuff like that. So he was writing this book also while he was in law school, which is insane. So he's a total beast, knows what he's talking about, tons of experience uh, through his time with the DOD, his legal perspective, his technical perspective. Uh, it's a great book. So we're excited to see the overview with the opening session. I like that we're leading off with this because it, what it does is it, we spend a lot of time educating people at CS2 over different things, aspects of Microsoft 365, different aspects of the CMMC program and cloud security, obviously. And this gives you, like you said, a, a broader perspective, a more um, in-depth look as to exactly why all of this is necessary, right? What, what yeah. role does it play and really how important our supply chain is and how important it is securing supply chain at the secondary, tertiary, and even deeper levels. So yeah. I'm really excited to kick off with this. Um, and then we jump into, and I don't want to steal your thunder right here, Jacob, but I, I will go on record and I will tell you that I have a Mount Rushmore of presenters that I like to see. I'm not sucking up because we are friends and we are on the show together, but I enjoy watching you speak. I learn something Thanks, every time man. you speak. There are two other people that every time that I see them give a presentation, I not only learn something, but I'm also constantly engaged. That's Daniel Akridge, our, our partner here at Summit 7, and the great and powerful many-time ghost. He's like our many-time guest, right? He's like the SNL host four times over that's appeared on, on the podcast, Ryan Bonner from DevCert. And, and they're going to be discussing um, basically a more in-depth understanding of your MSP, how you can evaluate your MSP and the things they're supposed to do as yeah. a part of this whole scheme. <laughs> Yeah, in the running for one of the best titles for uh, best session titles for this event, it's 10 p.m. Do you know where your MSP is? If you don't understand the reference, kids, ask your parents. They'll know uh, what that what that means. Uh, but the the problem here, right, is very obvious. The proposed rule says that MSPs need to have an equivalent certification as their clients. And Daniel and Ryan know better than anybody in the industry uh, how long it takes for an MSP to go from uh, average MSP to assessment ready, having changed their service delivery, their business model, their operations to be compliant with NIST uh, SP 800-171 or even 172 to go through an actual assessment. And it's much longer than the average company that's a contractor, the average manufacturer that's a contractor in the DIB. And so for those companies that are dependent on an MSP, which many, many are, if not most are, if those MSPs are not well on their way to being ready for their assessment, uh, you're in a really bad situation. So we often talk about how long it takes for the average company to go from uh, sort of status quo to assessment ready, but we rarely talk about how long it takes MSPs to go through that process. So uh, both of these guys, MSP uh, experts extraordinaire are going to walk through from that perspective how long it takes to get through the requirements for an MSP. Just so everyone's aware, if your MSP is out there promising you the world, there's some very specific questions that you should be asking because if they can't answer them, uh, it's 10 p.m., <laughs> it's almost midnight, and uh, you, you need to come up with a plan for what you're going to do. 
I like that, that, you know, giving this perspective into what you need to know about your MSP is good, but then giving it from two uh, different perspectives within that threshold is even better because yeah. uh, we know Daniel works at an MSP. We work in an MSP and he has to know, you know, what we need to do in order to make sure we're serving oh, our yeah. clients appropriately. And Ryan, on the other hand, consults for organizations and realistically his job is like to pick apart yeah, their MSP the and make sure they're doing He's the MSP whisperer. He's the gray man of CMMC. If I, personally, if, whenever I have questions about NIST controls, MSP issues, regulatory stuff, the first person I ask questions of is Ryan, right? So uh, it's like yeah. the Turk, right? It's like the in the NFL, the Turk, the person that comes to tell you that you're getting cut, bring your clipboard and your iPad and let's go. <laughs> but that's what this show feels like. I feel like that we're doing a college football preseason special ranking what's going on. I absolutely love it. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, he'll be up there with his clipboard and his visor and his whistle. Yeah. After that, after that session uh, is going to be a panel. I'll be moderating a panel with the great and powerful Lauren Ayers and Michael Gruden, who, if you're not familiar with, you need to follow Michael Gruden on LinkedIn. Uh, he is a former DHS contracting officer turned attorney, contracts attorney, uh, puts out some awesome content on LinkedIn, participates in some really great webinars, uh, and he's starting to put out some, you know, He's starting to put out more information, more content from his perspective. I've always learned something great whenever I've heard him speak. And we've had Lauren on the show in the past. She's been a speaker at past CS2s. Uh, these are both people who are uh, some of the rarest people on earth, it seems. Former contracting officers who are willing to get on stage and explain what they know, share their perspective on DFARS, share their perspective on CMMC, and answer questions from people who are affected by these situations. If you've been following some of the stuff I've been posting on LinkedIn recently, you may have noticed a trend with the polls that I was posting where all of the answers to these cryptic questions were, you got to ask the contracting officer. And most people are probably aware that most people don't ever get a chance to talk to contracting officers. So uh, I'm very excited for this panel for them to share their perspective on things like how likely is it that you're going to get a CMMC waiver according to how it's written down in the CMMC proposed rule? Spoiler alert, not very likely. Uh, what is the contract officer's perspective on the ability to grant deviations from the 800 baseline in accordance with DFAR 712? Spoiler alert, it's not very likely, but there are specific reasons why that's true. And uh, there's a human element here to what it's like for the people who have this job. And uh, yeah, so I'm always excited to talk to them, always excited to get their perspective. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of opinions that they have on some of the features and bugs of the CMMC proposed rule. So it's going to be a great session. Uh, that's the third session on day one, right before lunch. Uh, okay, so let's see here. So after lunch, uh, the other thing to note here with the sessions is uh, all of the sessions are 60 minutes long, but the break time is independent of the session. So this is purposely engineered this way so that the sessions aren't trying to jam something into 45 minutes and then there's 15 minutes for the break and then the next session starts afterwards. There are 15 minute breaks between each hour, which is why when you look on the agenda, things sometimes start quarter after or uh, quarter till. It's because uh, there's plenty of networking time, plenty of uh, of decompression time between each session. There's no back to back to back sessions uh, at CS2. So uh, over the course of two days, there's several hours altogether of break time, networking time. Uh, it's it's one of my favorite parts of the event is how much time there is between all the sessions, which really adds up over two days. 
really when you go to you know these conferences and you you sit in the presentations it, it's an often you know unspoken thing that the beginning of the presentation usually is where they come with the fire right the things that are going to draw you in and attract you and it's not really conducive for you to be interested in the presentation if you miss it because you have to run to the bathroom because everything's yep. jammed up next to each other i love the fact that it's spread out like this get a snack grab a drink they're always ready you know get yeah, some cool we, stickers get some merch and then come back in and, and learn the good word right there's always great stickers shout out to producer dustin there's always producer great dustin stickers. Kills there's always stickers. great merch uh and he's the mastermind behind all that stuff so uh yeah there's always great swag at uh at, at the event one of the other things to note uh, these are hybrid events. So there's in-person uh, attendance. There's also virtual attendance. You'll be able to see all the sessions. You'll be able to flip back and forth between the breakout sessions after lunch. So if you can't make it to Boston, you can attend virtually. Uh, we actually cap the number of people that can make it in person in Boston to specifically be able to facilitate the networking, uh, people being able. You'd be surprised. Once you get above a certain number of people in person, the amount of time it takes for people to get up, walk out of the room, get coffee, uh, get a snack, talk, figure out what's going on, take a call, use the bathroom, come back, uh, quickly adds up. So if you've got your sessions back to back to back, people miss it. It's disruptive. It's this, it's that. So a lot of thought goes into the flow of events and how much time there is between all these things. But if you can't make it in person, you can always make it virtually as well. Okay. So after lunch on day one is when we split into technical tracks, executive tracks. So the first executive track session is a panel session from people who work at Prime Contractors. Crazy thought, as of this conversation, um, the comment period on the rule is nearly over in a matter of days. And there have been, as far as I can tell, zero webinars, zero information sessions, zero videos produced by the mega big time Prime Contractors about the rule, about the NIST revisions, about the timeline, about the plan, about their- Do you mean publicly released or yeah, released to their yeah. supply chain or neither? Anything. I haven't, I have been, I have not been made aware of any resources by the mega prime contractors to share their perspective on what's going on after two years of rulemaking is now coming to an end. And so we specifically have this session in, in response to the most popular request that we had at CS2 Denver was- we want to hear from prime contractors. So we're going to have a panel. Uh, we're going to have a rep from Raytheon. We're going to have a rep from uh, from J&J Worldwide. We're going to have a rep from Blue Halo, who is quickly becoming a very large prime contractor. Uh, and they're going to share their perspective on what's going on, what they think the risks are, what suppliers need to know, how they're handling it, what their strategies are. So uh, not to toot the horn of CS2, but between now and uh, the time the final rule comes out, this seems like it might be the only conversation that the prime contractors really have with uh, with the supply chain, which, as we know recently, the DoD put out a 40-minute-long video. Well, we cross-posted it onto our YouTube page, which we'll link below. They put out a 40-minute-long video overviewing the rule, explaining their plan, their timeline, this and that. It was a little dry, but it was a good overview overall. The DoD beat them to the punch, so uh, you know I don't know where the Lockheeds and the Northrop's of the world are, but we're going to at least have a handful of primes up there sharing their perspective. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of questions. I have a lot of questions. Very excited for that for that session. It's, 
questions. So, sometimes it's funny to see you pop up and be the first person. Yeah, I have a personal question here. Yeah, I have the microphone. We'll just take and go. It's, I, I hate doing it because, you know, you have the mic and you feel drunk yeah. with power. But, uh, you know, I've got just as many questions as everybody else. You know, I'm, right. I'm, I'm learning a lot of this stuff as it comes out, just like just like uh, everybody else is. And so uh, I think it's At least you don't, like, introduce yourself. Okay. Next, <laughs> yeah. You know, you know what I mean? It's like, Hi there, uh, Jacob Horn, big fan. Yeah. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, first time, long time. Um, but so as that panel is going on, which is really exciting, and like you said, probably the first and only time that we're going to hear from major primes before the rule is uh, the, the comment period closes, right? As far as we know, as far as we know. In our technical breakout room, what we're going to have is we're going to have a director from DC3, if I'm not mistaken, and yep. going to give us stories, firsthand experience stories, which are the best stories to get um, of what they're experiencing working and supporting the dip throughout this entire transition process. So for the people technically that want to go look and see what's happening with threats, maybe um, what's happening with the ways that they're going to, the mitigation strategies that the DC three is going to be recommending or that they're, you know, performing. Uh, this is definitely the session for you to yeah. go to. So yeah. like, Terry, Terry Kalka, friend of the show, friend of the dib is now the director of DC three. We've known that guy for a long time. So it's great to see his success in his career arc over the years. He's now running the show at DC three. And for those of you not familiar if you go read your DFAR 7012 clause, when you experience an incident related to CUI or the systems that handle CUI, he's the guy that you're supposed to be reporting those incidents to. Uh, so he's going to share what's going on from the perspective of the center of incident reporting gravity in the DOD and the DIB. Uh, he's hilarious. He's great. Easy to listen to. We haven't had a rep from DC3 in several CS2 sessions now, so I'm excited to see what the updates are, what they're working on you know, the dib CS rule is getting ready to come out as a final rule here pretty soon. So uh, it, it'll be great to see what the DOD is going to going to do to share their perspective on how to help interface with the DOD, what resources they're making available, lessons learned from various car crash horror stories of things not going well when incidents get reported. Uh, you know, nobody wants to have to sit through uh, an experience, an incident, but there's always a lot to learn from those case studies. So I'm excited to mm -hmm. see what he's going to share. So what's next, Jacob? This is your this is your time to shine, buddy. Yeah. Uh, one of probably the most exciting topics that we've covered here recently um, on the show and one of the most uh, exciting topics that's getting a lot of buzz within the industry is false claim, the False Claims Act, right? Oh, yeah. And the Civil uh, Cyber Fraud Initiative. And so what we decided to do is another panel um, in the executive break uh, in the executive breakouts. Uh, I'm going to moderate a panel with Eric Crusius from a uh, partner at Holland and Knight and Stephanie Sigmund, um, who, you know, I think is probably one of the most impactful guests that we've had thus far. Oh yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Like just the, the last, that, that, that cut scene that led into the episode with us, when, with you reading out that scenario, so we'll, we'll link to it. But one of the, my, one of my favorite is, on the definitely. podcast now, having done this for a year and a half now, we've been doing this for quite some time was talking to Stephanie Sigmund, longtime uh, JAG, longtime national security prosecutor now turned uh, contracts attorney, uh, you know, uh, based in Boston, doing a ton of content, ton of outreach, really helping people understand what's going on. Very approachable, you know, been at CS2 before, just being making this stuff very accessible to normal mm -hmm. people. We had her on the podcast and we said, hey, uh, you know, I'm a dib contractor and I just didn't know about the requirements. And when I submitted my score, I just didn't know what I was doing. Case closed. There's no 
you know, there's no false claims investigation or penalties here, right? And her initial human reaction to that uh, line of reasoning was to laugh in our faces. But it, it, it wasn't a, it was a villain laugh, dude. Yeah, it was, it was like it was, a cutscene from Batman. And it was just one of those things. The lesson here is, you know, if you take a standard thing that you hear in the Dib related to the False Claims Act and you say it to the person who used to be in charge of bringing these cases against companies and their initial reaction is to laugh at you, then you should probably revisit your logic behind what your defense will be and pay more attention to avoiding the situation in the first place, which I think a lot of people will uh, be excited for in this panel is, you know, we're going to describe the False Claims Act, cover what's going on, cover the perspectives from these guys on, uh, you know, updates. And what's two going differing on. perspectives, a prosecutor sure, and the sure. defense perspective, which is great, great insight to have. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. And just getting the background of exactly what FCA is, the Civil Cyber Fraud Initiative, exactly what that is, um, and then how, ways to stop from being a, a victim of it for the for the most part right as yeah. you have labeled this um false claims act and whistleblowers are the ultimate insider threat right like, ultimate and, and insider so, threat for sure very low probability event but it is an existential risk so it's always something to be aware of always something to pay attention to it's going to be a great session and then to wrap up uh on day one the second last but not least technical session from our very own patrick roland at summit seven is going to do a deep dive into uh, managed detection and response, what's going on with MSSP services, what people need to know, how they relate to the requirements. Awesome presenter, awesome perspective, really technical guy, very excited. First time CS2 presenter. Uh, so very, very interested to hear what Patrick is going to share with what's going on under the hood of all of this stuff, because there's plenty of examples in day one of what's going on above the waterline, if you will. So he's going to bring it home and share uh, how to connect the dots with all the details in the weeds. Not only are a co-worker uh, and a very smart individual, but a person that calls us his security cousins, if you don't remember, Jacob. Um, <laughs> and I have secretly said Pat, to Patrick many times that I am excited when he gets the opportunity to present because he's like one of those secretly funny guys, but he's smart oh, yeah. and, and secretly funny. So I'm interested to see how he mixes it together and has people rolling. It, it, yeah. it will be an event for sure. And um, I'm excited for that. And then we move into day two, Jacob. Yep. So this day is April, number two. So this is April 4th. Uh, the fun continues. So opening up with the main session on day two is going to be lessons learned from DibCAC assessments. So we're going to have some representatives from Marvin Engineering, which is a uh, more under the radar, but still very large uh, prime contractor here in the Southern California area. Uh, been able to visit their facility in the past, and it's very impressive. Uh, they do some really cool stuff, putting some very important components on some very important weapon systems. Uh, some things that you may have even seen in the news recently, uh, which they may share during their session on stage. But that being said, uh, they have recently gone through their in-depth DIPCAC assessments. So not only do they have perspectives on what it's like to prepare, uh, what it's like to go through the assessment, what it's like to wrap up the assessments, but also what it means for their suppliers, because uh, they're a prime contractor with many, many suppliers in terms of what they do. So it's going to be a, an awesome fusion to see what their perspectives are. I just saw uh, the, the team from Marvin Engineering a couple days ago at our most recent Southern California cyber defense meetup. And uh, they were, they still showed up to the event, which was great, but they were right in the middle of, uh, of, of wrapping up one of their assessments. And uh, I asked them, I was like, Hey, 
you know, uh, what's your what's your estimate on how long it takes to prepare for the you know the average bear out there to get ready for their assessment? And he's like, man, I'll be I'll be straight with you. I think that 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 time for preparation is is going up for the average company after we've actually had to go through the real process. So, uh, you know, they're not pulling any punches. They're not, uh, you know, they're going to share exactly what their experience was and what that means for companies getting ready for assessments. So I think it's gonna be very valuable uh, for people. One of the most popular sessions that we've ever had was a Q&A forum with a company that had just gone through their DIBCAC assessment. So uh, we're going to we're going to run that back and bring an updated experience and uh, let people learn from learn from somebody who just went through this process firsthand. And then after that session, Jacob, which is going to be very valuable, um, we jump into ecosystem updates. You, you can't have a CS2 without Cyber AB updates, right? And this is a crazy back-to-back here because we go from Matt, and we'll talk about the next session after that. I'm not going not gonna to ruin it just yet. But Matt giving us the updates, and it, it, there's a lot of them that he's going to have to deliver. There's a lot of moving parts. And by the time um, CS2 comes around, there may be even more moving parts or even more news that we need to know about. We don't know. Yep. Um, and, and it's good to have that presence, the government presence and, you know, the AV presence um, <clears throat> to, to give us the, their perspective and their updates. And you can hear it directly from the horse's mouth. Yep. Yep. So we're going to hear straight from Matt Travis, CEO of Cyber AB. Uh, he's always very open with what's going on with the AB, what their plans are, what their timelines are, what their estimates for ecosystem capacity uh, will be when, uh, you know, on various timelines. So it'll be great to hear from Matt. Always great to hear everybody's questions from Matt as well, because uh, the AB over time, you know, uh, at, you know, we're still in the depths of rulemaking, which is really a DOD run uh, process. The AB is really not involved or aware more than anybody else is. Uh, but over time, as the rules wrap up and things get finalized and the regulations are set, uh, then the sort of uh, center of gravity of these conversations really does shift entirely to the AB and less from the DOD because uh, you're not in the middle of the rulemaking process. You're in the middle of the ecosystem up and running and assessments happening and things going on. So uh, always great to pay attention to what Matt has to say and what he thinks is coming around the corner. So we'll have that for the second session on day two. And then the third session before lunch is my own session, something I'm very excited about. Let me let me just Let's just let's just have a, a moment. Scoot here. up in the chair real quick. First let's of all, just, you always go before lunch. What, what's the strategy behind that? Um, well, it's uh, it, no real strategy. No real strategy. Yeah, okay. I, just, I, I, I like that slot and it, it usually is open. Obviously, uh, it works out with scheduling. If any of the other presenters have scheduling constraints, then, uh, then sure. we don't go. A lot of times what happens, I'll be honest, is uh, uh, sometimes some of the takeaways and points that get made during my presentations tend to rile the crowd up a little bit in terms of uh, how upset or excited yeah, people were revolting against. against the lunch workers. And so, uh, and so sometimes the Q and a sessions can go a little long. Sometimes opinions can get a little hot. And so uh, we just like to have maybe a little extra buffer time there, depending on, depending on what happens. So uh, yeah. And this may be one that uh, people get, very, Dude, you're uh, gonna, I, I can already see it. So this one, this one for me is a little personal, right? So <laughs> I don't think that there is anything more counterproductive in the broader conversation around cybersecurity than the false dichotomy of security versus compliance. Go and on, Telemonto. For, for several years, the primary debate has been about rulemaking. 
Is it happening? What's happening? Why is it happening? What's the timeline? What's going on? Awareness around rulemaking, helping people participate in rulemaking. Is it happening or not? And as that debate has started to wrap up and the rulemaking process now, we can sort of see the light at the end of the tunnel. What you're starting to see more and more in the broader discourse is, well, it might be happening, but is it effective? Like, are, is there really any security value here? Is this just some paperwork drill? Is this just compliance? And it's very understandable why people could reach that conclusion because it's not immediately obvious when you look at the NIST standard. It's not immediately obvious when you read about CMMC. It's just not oriented to describing the types of security outcomes that you get when you do actually implement the requirements. And we're going to start to change that conversation with this session specifically, because I think people will be very surprised at just how much security you get when you fully implement 171 Rev 2, 172, or even the upcoming revision 171 Rev 3 against real world cyber actors, real world activity described in CISA alerts, something that we've talked about over the years. Um, you get a very large amount of real world security. And there just hasn't been a lot of effort put to connecting those dots uh, in the past. And it's a sort of a, 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 a an easy, low hanging fruit, sort of cheap shot that the security community broadly takes against standards like this. And they go, it's just compliance. You don't really get anything for it. That's not true. It's not true at all. So very excited to go into that session. I think people will find it very interesting. All right. So with that being said, in terms of this deep dive into normalizing the conversation about the security value of CMMC, we're going to have Scott Goodwin, who is a longtime presenter at CS2. I think Scott Goodwin is the only person who's given more CS2 or as many CS2 presentations as I have. We actually created the technical breakout track specifically for Scott because we would bring him into CS2 and they used to be a day and a half and he would just crush everybody with his tremendous knowledge and wizardry of the dark arts. He is a penetration tester. He is a rare type of penetration tester who does not recoil uh, in disgust at the idea of connecting the dots between the, uh, the dark arts of pen testing and the cybersecurity compliance requirements that people actually have to implement. And as he's shown over the course of many of his technical presentations over the years, if you implement the requirements in 171, you make his job a lot harder, if not completely impossible in many ways. So he and I are going to dovetail our two presentations together specifically, where we're going to have sort of a broader picture of what this means in terms of the security value of the requirements under CMMC. And then he's going to demonstrate for everybody what actually happens when you implement these requirements and a bad guy tries to get into your system. And those two things together, if it wasn't obvious already, will show you that you are getting real security when you implement. That's what, that's what I'm about to say. Wait, but you said compliance isn't security, Jacob. And this person is showing us that if you implement this compliance requirement, you are this much more secure, right? He even 100%. gave a presentation of ways that you could make your compliance requirement implementation even more secure. Yep. But I listen, we, we've had this debate. 
you can say compliance, not security, but when you have these real world demonstrations and you actually think about it and you peel back the layers and you see that identifying who's on your system, identifying what they're doing on your system, being able to respond to activities on your system and being able to manage risk and vulnerabilities and, and keep system patching and things like that together kind of sounds like a, a security yeah. program. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We're going to, we're taking the gloves off with these ones. Just, we're going to show it. It's just how it is, but you know, it's not, it's it's fine. Like I said, it's very easy to understand how people reach that conclusion, but it's not true. So we're so, going to do our best to shine a light on it and explain why the opposite is actually true, which which is always very interesting whenever you sort of violate expectations when it comes to this stuff. Anyways, just, oh, just silly paper pushers. That's that's what it is. <laughs> just, so so wrapping up here on day two, the first executive session is also something that's probably going to get people uh, very worked up. Uh, our friends at Paperless Parts, who, if you're not aware, are one of the premier SaaS application uh, uh, offerings out there that that work with DIB companies, that work with manufacturers and their ERP systems to control their data flow, make their jobs easier, make their operations better, uh, and help them make more money. They're absolutely killing it. Their service is great. Their technology is incredible. Their team is wonderful. And we're going to have uh, their CTO on stage explaining his perspective on the FedRAMP moderate equivalency memo and fitting with the theme of violating expectations. The folks at Paperless Parts have no problem with the tenets of the FedRAMP equivalency memo because when you ask them, what do you think FedRAMP equivalency means? They said it means the same as FedRAMP moderate. So they engineered their system they built their team, they built their technology, they built their architecture to facilitate the requirements in FedRAMP moderate. So when the memo came out, they said, of course, that's what the memo would say. That's what equivalent means. So uh, although most of the attention around the FedRAMP moderate equivalency memo has been negative, uh, we're going to have an alternate perspective <laughs> from these guys who are out there really doing it, really working with DIB companies, really building their own company. And uh, having no problem complying with the requirements, facilitating the requirements, making it easy on their clients, making it easy on themselves. Uh, so I think it'll be a very refreshing perspective uh, from the folks who actually need to deal with the federal moderate equivalency requirements and how that impacts normal everyday DIB suppliers uh, and, and get their perspective on what it means. So I think that's going to be a very interesting session on day two. Again, another perspective from the people that are affected by the things that we're talking about, right? Yeah. Not just, hey, this is what we think, or this is our expert analysis or subject matter analysis. No, this this is actually stuff that we've gone through. Here's our perspective. Here's how we went through it. Yep, Here, absolutely. Hopefully, you, you know, you, you learn from any of the mistakes that we'll offer, you know, any of the pointers that we offer. <clears throat> absolutely. So the last two sessions, the last technical breakout session, the last executive session are still to be announced. So stay tuned to the CS2 website. Uh, follow uh, CS2 on LinkedIn, Summit 7 on LinkedIn, follow us on LinkedIn for the announcements for the last two sessions, as well as the surprise closing keynote speaker, which I think everyone will find very interesting when we finally announce uh, who that's going to be. But that's the majority of the agenda for both days, April 3rd and 4th. Podcast listeners can use the discount code, which we'll have in the description below, Summit Up Boston for a discount on registration in person, virtual, uh, pick your pick your choice, and uh, and then we'll go from there. They're always great events, always tons of information that's put out, and uh, I think it's gonna be a great time. Get your tickets. See you at the harbor. <laughs> <laughs>